So as you are taking your seat, we are going to be in the Gospel of Matthew this morning. So go ahead and start turning to Matthew chapter 19. We're going to look at verses 16 through 30 today. Just as a reminder, we're in the middle of, well not in the middle, we're actually finishing up uh, the sermon series, Good News. So for the, the past uh, four weeks, we've looked at these powerful conversion stories of people in Scripture that have the opportunity to meet with Jesus and walk away with their lives forever changed. We're going to take one more look at a story this morning that's a little bit different than the first four uh, for a reason that's pretty sad, actually. Um, this man that we're going to look at this morning, most of us in the room may know him as the rich young ruler. Um, and by the world's standards, he's got everything, right? He's, he, he's got the, the money, um, he's got the power, he's got all the things that the world uh, would say that, that we would want, right? But the one thing that he lacks, the one thing that he, he doesn't have is assurance of his eternal life. And so he's going to take the opportunity to go to Jesus and ask him a question that leads us to three powerful things that we're going to have to wrestle with this morning, just like he does in the text. So uh, if you don't mind, pray with me one more time as we prepare our hearts to jump into this passage of Scripture this morning. Father, we thank you so much for your word. God, we thank you for the good news of the gospel. We thank you for um, so many examples in Scripture, God, of people whose lives are forever changed, God. The reminder that you are for us, God. That you are so for us that while we were dead in our sin, you left heaven to come and rescue us from a hopeless situation. And God, to think that anyone can come to faith in you freely, it's a gift of yours. God, it's not based on what we do so that we may not boast, but God, it's open to anyone and everyone. Father, my prayer this morning is if we walk through this passage of Scripture, God, that you would remind us that we are not enough on our own. And God, that you are the only one that can provide us with salvation. And God, it is oh so worth it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, if you begin reading with me this morning in verse 16 of Matthew chapter 19, the first thing that we're going to uh, look at in this passage of Scripture here is an important question, an important question. In verse 16, it says, And someone came to him and said, Teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may obtain eternal life? Uh, this is a, a story that's found in the synoptics, so that's Matthew, Mark, and Luke in Scripture. So you can find this story in all three of those Gospels. In Matthew, it says, and someone runs up to Jesus. Not really specific, but I love uh, what Mark uh, says. Mark paints a, a more um, dire uh, situation, a more um, uh, you know, clear picture of, of how much this man is desiring to ask this question of Jesus. It says that he runs up to Jesus and falling before him, kneeling, asks Jesus this powerful question. Now, so to set this in your mind, remember who this man is. This is a 
very young man. He's an extremely wealthy man, um, and he is a very powerful man. He is some kind of ruler, and he is seeking uh, Jesus' assurance of eternal life, and he has this very, very important question to ask. And so he runs up to him, but he runs up to him in what would probably be very fine clothing, right? And he, he runs up to Jesus, and, and he wants to know the answer to this question so desperately that he falls in front of Jesus on his knees in the finest clothes that he probably has to, has to wear in the middle of a dusty street just to hear Jesus' answer about this question. Now, why does this guy want to know Jesus' answer about this question? Like the woman at the well that we studied several weeks ago, the word is out on Jesus Right? He understands that this is one who is known for teaching the scriptures as one with authority. So he thinks, man, there's no better person to answer this burning question that I have about eternal life than this guy. So he runs up before Jesus, throws himself before him and asks him an extremely important question. In fact, the most important question that any of us can really ask. He asks Jesus, what must I do to have eternal life? Verse 17, and he said to him, why are you asking me about what is good? There is only one who is good, but if you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. So the man runs up to Jesus and he asks a very uh, good question, but he comes with it in, in a little bit of wrong motives, right? He, he assumes that there's something that he can do here that's good that will help him have eternal life. And so Jesus just says, let's stop right here for just a second. Let's start with your understanding of good. And Jesus explains to him that there's only one that's good. And that one is God. And this in and of itself should be enough to help this man understand that, that he can't ever be good enough on his own. Just the understanding that only one is good and the one that is good is God, right? It's, it's the proper understanding of how holy God really is and just how sinful he really is. It's, it's Isaiah chapter 6. If you guys remember Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah gets to see into the throne room of heaven. And he gets proper perspective of the holiness of God. And it says that when he gets proper perspective of the holiness of God, that all he can do is come to the conclusion, woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. Jesus is starting right out of the gate with just helping him understand that just an understanding of God of who he really is, should lead you to the conclusion that you're not enough. But it, it doesn't. It, it doesn't stop there. We continue reading in verse 18. It says, uh, excuse me, in verse 17, he says, uh, one is good, but if you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. So Jesus is explaining here that God alone and understanding how holy he is should be enough to know that you fall short. But just in case that's not enough, let's look at the commandments for a second. The commandments, as you remember, uh, were never actually written so that we could keep them and earn our way to salvation. That was never God's intent with giving us the Ten Commandments. The intent of the commandments was to act as a mirror, right? We were supposed to look at the commandments and come to the conclusion that, okay, I fall short, right? I fall short. I cannot keep these things. It was, it was a, as a mirror to, to help us understand that, that we fall short. And this still hasn't sunken in yet so in verse 18 he says then he said to him well which ones 
So he's still not quite catching on that this isn't really about you. This is not really about what you've done and what you bring to the table. It's about a holy God that is coming after you that you fall short of. And it's not even about you keeping these commandments. And this guy is like, but, wh but which ones? He's, it's not clicking with him yet. And so Jesus answers and says, you shall not commit murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall now not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So the guy wants the list. It's still not clicking with him that he falls short here. And that's not about him. He wants Jesus to tell him a little bit more. So give me, give me the list. Which commandments? And by the way, he wants Jesus to be very specific here because in addition to the Ten Commandments in the law of God, there are some 600 plus commandments that we find throughout the Old Testament and ones that the Pharisees have added onto it. So this guy's like, please be specific. Which one of these do I need to follow in order to have eternal life? So Jesus names off some of the ten. And if you uh, caught this, he doesn't list off the top four. Jesus begins to work with, with the bottom six of the commandments. And so he gives him ones dealing with his relationship with other people. Verse 20, the young man said to him, all these I have kept, what am I still lacking? And it's just jumped off the page to me like this guy still isn't getting it. He hasn't yet come to the end of himself. Jesus has already told him that there's only one that's good, and that person is God. And if you need further evidence, you've got to keep these commandments, which you can't. And this guy genuinely believes that he's kept all of these. I was thinking through this, if you've got kids, I mean, like, honor your father and mother. Like, he nailed that one. Are you serious? Like, we know it's not possible for this guy to do this. He's never told a lie in his whole life. You just told a lie by saying that you've kept them all, right? And so he doesn't even understand just how far he has fallen short up to this point. What am I still lacking? Verse 21, and this is the key. Jesus said to him, if you wish to be complete, your translation may say perfect, go and sell your possessions, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Now, what is Jesus teaching here? Is Jesus honestly teaching this man that if you would just go sell your stuff and, and give all the money to the poor, uh, that, that you'll have eternal life? No, the key here isn't about what he's asking the guy to do with his money. The key here is what he's telling him to do with himself. Jesus is saying, the only solution to your problem here is me. So Jesus answers the question that the guy runs up and asks initially. What must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus says, okay, if you really want to know what you must do to have eternal life, first you have to come to the understanding that you are not good enough on your own. And the second thing that you have to come to is the conclusion that I am your only hope. You must follow after me. And this is a hard pill to swallow. I've never met a person, not one, that likes being reminded that they're not good enough for anything. When I was in uh, middle school, I had a deep desire to uh, 
play basketball. Most of my friends were uh, trying out for the middle school basketball team. And I had played baseball for the majority of my life up to that point. I'd even played uh, some football. Um, I, I wasn't great at anything, but I was decently athletic. So I just thought in my mind, if I just, you know, make a, a commitment and start practicing and working a little bit at this, then, I mean, this should be no problem to be able to make this team, right? I mean, it's the middle school basketball team, right? Like, this shouldn't be that big of a deal. So for months, I began to practice in my driveway. I began to get tips from my dad and begin to work on these things that he thought I would need to get better at in order to make this middle school basketball team. I began working on shots, but the, my, my weakest area was dribbling. If, I, if basketball was mostly about just standing there shooting, I'd be fine, okay? Uh, but you actually have to dribble the ball too. So I had these things that I knew that I need to work on. And for six or eight months, I dedicated my life to getting better at these things so that I could make this team. Tryouts come around. All my friends are there. We're all trying out on this or for this team together, right? And up to this point, when it came to athletics, I really hadn't experienced much disappointment, honestly. If I just put a little bit of effort into it, you know what? I usually did okay. But that wasn't the case with this basketball team. I tried out with all my friends, and the day came for us to go and see who made the team, right? And so we go to the board to see whose names are listed as those that are there to be able to make this basketball team. And I go to it, and not only is my name not on the made the list, but my name is listed under cut. And as a middle school boy, I experienced for the first time such crazy heartbreak when I realized that I was not enough. No matter what I was going to do to make that team, wasn't going wasn't gonna to change anything, right? And it's something that is, it's weighty. It's something that forces us uh, to, to, it's something we're forced to wrestle with, right? This idea that we're not enough. And like I said, we don't like that. Nobody in this room enjoys being told that we're not enough. But listen, it's important, as hard as it is to hear, it's important for us to understand because it is foundational to understanding the good news of the gospel. We must come to the conclusion that on our own, we will never be enough. There is nothing that Jeremy can ever do to earn his own way. There is nothing that I can do to stand before a holy God and impress him. It's never going to happen. So it's something that we've all got to wrestle with in this room. This idea that we are never going to be enough. This is true about salvation. But listen, for those of you in this room, maybe you've known Jesus for a long, long time. It's a good reminder for us every single day. Not in a way to beat ourselves down, but just to start with proper understanding of who we still are, right? Like the world wants to tell you you are enough. And you can be enough, but the Bible tells us that we are not enough and will never be enough apart from Christ. I will never be father enough. And I can never be a husband that's good enough. And you can never be a mother that's good enough. And you, and you, you can never be enough on your own. But that's the good news of the gospel, is that it's not even about 
us and us being enough. It's about us putting our trust in Jesus Christ and leaning into him because while we are not enough on our own, he is enough. And he's exactly what we need. So let's continue on in this story. The first thing we saw here was this important question. Jesus leads him to the place of understanding that you are not enough. A question or something that we all have to wrestle with. The second thing we see here is a tragic decision. Verse 22. But when the young man heard this statement, he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. So Jesus answers his question. What must you do to have eternal life? First, you must come to the end of yourself. And second, you must follow after me. And when the guy hears Jesus' statement, the Bible tells us that it causes him to grieve. Why is he grieving at this statement? I believe he's grieving at this statement because when he was forced to wrestle with this idea, he come to the conclusion that he has a decision to make and he doesn't really like either one, right? On one hand, you have a decision to make. You either, you either sell everything in your life, the thing that you hold most dear, you get rid of that and you follow Jesus, or you keep it and you miss out on eternal life. You can just see it in this, in this guy's reaction, this, this, the weightiness of the decision that he has before him. He finally understands in this moment that there's no way that you get to keep both. You don't get to do your way and God's way. You have a decision to make. And like I said, he doesn't really like either one. But he's wrestling through them. He's processing through them. Uh, some of you parents, you may have uh, a little one. We've got five kids. And uh, most of our children... Um, know right and wrong pretty well, right? And, and, and they uh, like to choose right because they know that if they choose wrong, it leads to consequences that they don't really want, right? They, they, they don't enjoy those things. But I've got one. I've got one. Bless her soul. I've got one that will weigh out every decision and it reminds me of this man, the, this decision that he's, he, it's, as if, it's as if he knows that no matter what he chooses is going to be wrong or something that he doesn't desire. And I see it playing out in, in her little mind as well. I can, it's like, listen, I can either be obedient and do what they say, which is not what I want to do, or, or I can, I can uh, you know, go over here and I can choose to be disobedient and pay the consequences. And this one, this one that I'm talking about, man, she, she processes it. She has to think about it for a little bit. And sometimes she's like, you know what? It's worth it. It's worth it. Whatever punishment's coming is probably worth it, right? And, and then that's the tragedy of this whole story is this guy's got this weighty decision. Jesus answers the question that he wants answered. And when he comes to the understanding that there is a decision that he must now make, he is stuck weighing out the options, right? And for so many of us in the room who know Jesus Christ, we're like, what are you doing? What decision is there really to make here? This, this is so easy. It's so simple from, from my perspective on this side of things. But for him, he was just unwilling 
to give up this one thing. And so we see he makes this tragic decision. He makes the decision to walk away from the offer that Jesus is telling about of eternal life because he simply doesn't want to get rid of his stuff. Verse 23, Jesus takes this as a teachable moment with his guys. Verse 23, he says to his disciples, Truly I say to you, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I say to you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. What's Jesus saying here? Is he just specifically picking on those that have wealth and money? No. Jesus is trying to help us understand here. Jesus is saying, man, it's, it's, it's a difficult thing for people to come to faith in me when there's anything that they're unwilling to give up. For this guy, it was wealth. For you in this room, you could probably fill in the blank with something else. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's some kind of a sin problem. I've had so many conversations with people that understand that they're sinners. And they even understand that Jesus Christ is offering them the free gift of eternal life. And like this man, there's just this thing in their life that they're unwilling to let go of to follow after Christ. And it is so heartbreaking. That's what Jesus is saying here. He's not just specifically picking on wealth. Jesus is saying, listen, it is impossible for anyone to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Because they have to be willing to deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. That's what he told his guys in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. If anyone desires to be my disciple, they must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. You've got to be willing to lay everything down. You've got to be willing to come to the end of yourself. You've got to be willing to stop relying on your own plan and your own way. And you've got to stop hanging on to all the stuff that you just don't want to let go of. And you've got to follow after me. And I meet so many people that they understand everything about it. And they're like, you know what, though? If I decide to follow Jesus, then I'm going to have to let go of this sin thing. And I just don't know if I'm ready to do that right now. Well, for some, it's... I've got this relationship that it just can't go forward with me in a relationship with Jesus Christ and I'm no I can't I'm unwilling to let this go and so Jesus is trying to explain to his guys his disciples that it's impossible for you to keep your own way your own plan and follow after him and he gives us this powerful illustration. He says that it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus uses as an illustration for them something that they would understand to be absurd, right? And impossible. Jesus picks the largest land mammal that they have knowledge of and says it's easier for this giant camel to go through the eye of a needle. We've heard all kinds of explanations about these being gates in Israel and all that kind of stuff. You know what it simply is? It's a, it's a real camel. We don't know of any gates. It's a real camel and a real needle 
And that's what makes the illustration so profound. Jesus is saying, listen, you want to talk about how impossible it is for you to keep your stuff, your plan, your way, your sin, all of that, and enter into the kingdom of God? It's like a camel making it through the ivory. And we were discussing it this week. <laughs> Uh, Jay's, Jay's here uh, this morning, we were saying, and he said something so profound, it made me crack up out loud, I want to share with you guys. He said, man, uh, you think a camel, I thought it was hard just to get the thread through the needle. And I'm thinking, man, that is, that is absolutely true. Anybody in here ever gone through like a home ec course or anything like that? Like, now I understand, I've been taught that there's like a little trick to be able to like get the thread, but, but if you're just trying to like like, that is nearly impossible, right? Just to get thread, which was intended to go through the eye of a needle, that's, that's difficult in and of itself. But to think of a camel going through it, and Jesus is just trying to be so uh, over the top here that, that there's no doubt in what he's trying to explain. There is no way for you to enter into the kingdom of God your own way. It's impossible. It is impossible with men, but it's possible with God. Look at verse 26. It's exactly what Jesus is saying. And looking at the, or excuse me, verse 25. When the disciples heard this, they were astonished and said, then who can be saved? And I can't help but think in this moment, Jesus is like, now you're asking the right question. Finally, finally, we're, we're, you're on to something now, right? We started this whole thing out with him wanting to know what he could do to earn salvation. And now you're asking the question, if we can't do it, then who gets in? Who can be saved? And Jesus is going, now you're starting to get it. You're starting to get it. The only way that it's possible is through a relationship with Jesus Christ. He goes on to say, with men it is impossible, but the good news of the gospel is that with God it is possible. Those things that people were unwilling to give up to, to follow after Jesus. Listen, this is the good news of the gospel. Jesus changes hearts. Every single person that's sitting in this room that has a relationship with Christ, at one point in your life, you were the rich young ruler. There was something that you had to wrestle with. There was something that you had to be willing to give up, that you had to come to the decision that you were going to stop going your own way and that you were going to have to follow after Christ. And that's the beauty of the gospel. In this man's heart, he's got something that is keeping him from following Christ, but we don't actually know the rest of his story. I would like to think that maybe we could meet this guy in heaven one day. I'd like to think that maybe he gets another opportunity at this and maybe at some point in his life he comes to the conclusion that, you know what, all the land and all the stuff in the world isn't worth not having a relationship with Jesus. And that God could change his heart because God is in the heart-changing business. Let's look at this last section. The last thing we see here in this section is a genuine concern. Verse 27. Then Peter said to him, Behold, We've left everything and followed you. What then will there be for us? Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, that you who have followed me in the regeneration when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you also shall sit upon 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who's left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children 
or farms for my name's sake will receive many times as much and will inherit eternal life. Verse 30, but many who are first will be last and the last shall be first. So we see in this a genuine concern and it's Peter, of course, that pipes up to Jesus and he says, listen, we saw the rich guy come to you. You said he wasn't good enough. You've explained to us that what, what is required here is a relationship with you, that we must deny ourselves and follow after you if we want this, this eternal life. But can I just be real practical for a second? What's in it for us? That's what he asked. What then will there be for us? Peter's just asking a question. He has a genuine concern here. What about those of us that have decided to follow after you? What about those that have given up everything? I'm In Peter's mind, he's thinking, what, what about guys like me who, when you showed up and said, follow after me, I left it all. I left, I left my, my family business. I left my fishing nets. I, I walked away from it all. What, what's in it for us? And I think really at the heart of this, is, is Peter really wrestling with this idea of, is this worth it? Is it, is it really going to be worth it in the end? And Jesus explains to them in a very powerful way that it will be worth it. But he helps them to understand that it's not necessarily in this life. I think it's powerful and, it, and it's good for us to, to understand here. Jesus says, listen... It is worth it following me. You will never regret. Listen, one day you will sit with me in heaven on thrones and you will help me judge and rule the tribes of Israel. He can't even begin to explain to these guys how worth it following him is. But they have to understand that it may not look worth it in this life. You see in verse 30 he says, But many who are first will be last and last shall be first. for the disciples man they have this unbelievable opportunity to spend years with Jesus here in this life but it's going to cost them a lot but you know what it's going to be worth it in the end when they get to heaven and let me just say that for all of us in this room nobody is going to get to heaven and stand before God and think that it wasn't worth it Nobody will stand before God one day and think, man, it wasn't worth having to give up whatever. Fill in the blank. Because it will be so amazing in that moment. Many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. Makes me think of an illustration I heard one time when uh, if, if I was to come to you and tell you um, that I have a mansion for you in California, it's on the, right on the coast, on the, overlooking the beach, the most beautiful views that you've, you've ever seen. I've got this unbelievable thing waiting for you there. And all you have to do, all you have to do is just get there. And it's yours for free. How many of us would give up in western Kansas for a shack next to some tumbleweed? No one, Right? And why would we not? Because we understand the value 
that's to come. We understand that it's not about right now. It's about the eternal things. It's about the weighty things of the Lord. So Jesus is just trying to help them understand that, listen, no matter what you give up in this life, I promise you it's going to be worth it following after me. So real fast, real fast, as we, as we prepare to, to respond today, I've got three considerations that I want you to think through. This isn't for you to raise your hand, not for you to talk about out loud, nothing. I just want you to think about these questions in your mind. And I would just ask you that you would be real and that you'd be honest as we prepare uh, to close today. Three considerations. Number one is this. Am I trusting in something other than Christ for my salvation? Just like the rich young ruler you have to wrestle and come to the conclusion with the fact that you on your own are not enough. There is nothing that you can do to earn your own way. But yet we see so many people, I have so many conversations with people that still have this idea in their mind that they're gonna get to heaven one day and they're gonna stand before a giant set of scales and they're gonna pile all their good on this one and they're gonna pile all their bad on that one and they're just hoping and hoping that there's a couple more good than bad so that they get in. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches us that the standard is perfection, not more good than bad. The standard that God has is perfection. So we have to wrestle with the idea that if that's our plan, we will be found lacking on that day. Because the truth is, if you have one single bad, you're disqualified on your own. So that's the, what I want you to wrestle with. Am I trusting in something other than Christ for my salvation. Your only hope is in Jesus. Number two, is there anything in my life that's keeping me from following Christ? You know, I think the, the greatest tragedy of the story uh, is that this young man weighed the cost of following Christ and he walked away because he was unwilling to give up what Jesus was telling him he needed to give up. Deny yourself, walk away from this, stop going your own way and follow me. And the tragedy of the whole story really is that he didn't have to. He didn't have to walk away grieving that day. He could have walked away with assurance of eternal life and joy and hope like he had never experienced before in his life. But he chose to keep his own stuff. So that's what I want you to think about this morning. Is there anything in your life that's keeping you from following Christ? If you don't know Jesus... Don't let your own plan, don't let your sins, don't let your own self-righteousness, your own stuff keep you from following after Jesus. Don't let it keep you from following after Christ. Is there anything in my life that's keeping me from following Jesus? For those of you in the room that know Christ, man, it's been a weird year. 2020 has been a tough, weird year, Right? And I've had a lot of conversations with people who've struggled with their relationship with the Lord. So my question to you is, is very similar. Has there been anything in your life in the last several months that's begun to creep in to take the place of Jesus as number one? 
Is there anything going on in your heart and your mind right now that is keeping you from following after Christ the way that he's called us to follow after him? If there is, then this morning, it's, it's time for you to do business with him, to lay those things down. Number three, do I truly believe that Jesus is worth it? Do I truly believe that Jesus is worth it? That's easy to say when things are going well. Of course Jesus is worth it. But do I truly believe that he's worth it? Like is Jesus still worth it if I have nothing in this life? Like, is Jesus still worth it if your marriage doesn't get fixed? Is Jesus still worth it if you don't get that promotion? Is Jesus still worth it if you were to lose your job tomorrow? Is Jesus still worth it if you don't get that healing that you've been praying for? Is he still worth it in those moments? Of course, the answer is yes, he is worth it. Because we have to have a right understanding of the kingdom of God. It's about eternal things, like I said. Makes me think of of guys in scripture like Paul, who says that I count all these things that I've walked away from as rubbish. And Paul wrote that having had a glimpse of heaven. Paul himself got a glimpse of the things to come and knew that it was worth it. To the point where no matter what he experienced in his life, it didn't bug him. Because he knew that following Jesus was worth it. So do I truly believe that Jesus is worth it? We're going to spend the, the, a couple minutes this morning just, just responding to that. Um, I know that uh, here in a second I'm going to pray. Pastor Travis is going to be down front here. Roy's going to come up now and he's going he's to begin to lead us in a song. Um, and, and I just ask you this morning that you would, that you would be real with yourself, we, we ask those, those questions. I want you to really think through those. And my heart's desire this morning is that if you're in this room and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that you would come down today and that you would do business with God, that you would, that you would talk with Pastor Travis and that you would walk out of this room unlike the rich young ruler, not walking out of here grieving, unsure of your eternal life, but that you would walk out of here assured of the fact that one day you're going to stand before Jesus and you're not going to stand before him on your own merit you're not going to offer up to God anything that you've done but you're simply going to offer him the fact that you have decided to follow after Christ full assurance of eternal life As I mentioned before too, maybe there's just something that's been in your life that God's been working on your heart for the last four or five weeks. And the Holy Spirit's been trying to kick in the door of your heart. And you've been fighting and wrestling and being wanting to to not give up something. So maybe today is the morning that you say, listen, I'm, I'm willing to lay it all down. There's nothing worth not following Jesus for. For those of you in the room that you're believers, maybe something's begun to creep in. And maybe you know Jesus Christ and you know without a doubt that you have eternal life. 
But maybe something has been coming in and kind of taken first place. And you need to do business with God this morning to get that right. You need to put those things down and put Jesus back on the throne where he belongs. And listen, for those of you in the room that maybe you've just been going through some discouragement, I just want to remind you today that no matter what you're facing, no matter how hard things feel right now, that following Jesus is always worth it. I'm going to pray and then you come and respond. Father, thank you so much for this morning. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for the fact that we can have eternal life. God, I pray for the person in this room this morning that has been wrestling with this idea of following you for maybe a long time. And I pray that this morning would be the time where they finally come to the end of themselves, where they would surrender, and that they would just come and throw themselves at your mercy and your grace. Father, move this morning. God, I pray that you be very specific in people's hearts and minds of what they need to do. Give them the boldness to do whatever you ask. We pray this in